If you haven't caught on, the songs that we've been singing have been kind of pushing in one direction as far as serving the Lord and bearing fruit for Him. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a verse from the book of Song of Solomon. And we'll look at chapter 2, look at, looking at verse number 13, and a sermon that I've titled, Bearing Fruit. Song of Solomon, chapter number 2. Song of Solomon, chapter number 2. And in a moment, we'll look at what it says there in verse number 13. <clears throat> Vines are hardly good for anything unless they bear fruit. When you think of all the things that are and can be made of wood, almost none of those things are made from the wood that is gathered from vines. Uh, wood from trees can be used to make all types of furniture, but you could hardly cut out enough wood from a vine to make it useful to maybe even hang a potted plant from. There's not a whole lot you can use a vine for, which is why if a vine isn't bearing fruit, it is typically bundled up and burned in the fire. Uh, we'll look at it just in just a moment, but in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about him being the vine and we as believers as the branches. And those branches of the vine that produce no fruit, he says, are cut off and basically are used for kindling. They burn for a short amount of time before they are entirely consumed. Um, there's pictures that we get in Scripture of what we might refer to as nominal Christians or a nominal church. That which claims to be in Christ, but is only a church in name, that is only a Christian in name, and isn't truly a believer, but just carries that name for whatever reason. And Jesus describes such nominal Christians in John chapter 15. And I want you to listen to what he says in the first six verses there in John chapter 15 before we come to Song of Solomon chapter number two. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing." If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Here Jesus speaks of the difference between those who are truly saved as opposed to those who are just claiming to be Christians. They are merely carrying the name Christian with them, even though they have never truly come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Whether on an individual level or on a corporate level, the same is true. That the claims of a church or a believer will be evidenced by the fruit that they bring forth. Fruit can be measured in many different ways. But the point is that our lives, both as individuals as well as the corporate body of the church, should bear fruit if we're truly abiding in Christ. And if we're not, if there is no evidence of our salvation, if there is no desire for the church as a body of Christ to serve Christ, are we really a church? Are we really believers? Are we truly saved? Obviously, there are individuals who believe on Christ with their dying breath, who cannot produce any evidence of their salvation uh, because literally with the last moments they have here on earth, they're trusting and believing on Christ as their Savior. But that is not what Christ is referring to here in John chapter 15. He's referring to those who right now 
are claiming to be believers. He's, claim, he's, he's talking to churches that right now are claiming to be churches, that are claiming to serve him and to try and further his agenda. Are those professing believers and are those professing churches actually bearing fruit and providing the evidence of what they're claiming to be? Now, if not, Christ says they are useless and good for nothing. <clears throat> Let me put it this way. What if I came to you all and said that I'm going to be playing professional baseball and I'm going to be the starting third baseman for the New York Yankees? Now, aside from your feelings of what you think of the New York Yankees, how would you be able to know if I'm telling you the truth? If I could go around and I could have an individual conversation with every single one of you and have a convincing enough story on how the New York Yankees called me a local pastor here in Latham, New York, because they were struggling so bad at third base and they needed help, and they called me and drafted me, and I convinced every single one of you individually enough that at least my claim is real. Does it make it real? Well, you might turn on the TV to watch me play, and when you don't see me on TV, you'll be wondering, well, what's going on? He told me he plays for the Yankees. He told me he's going to be their starting third baseman. I don't see him anywhere. I've watched dozens of games, and he's nowhere to be seen. Well, you may go on and search the Internet to see where the Yankees made this really strange transaction where they drafted a pastor to play third base, and you'd find that your search results come back empty because there's no truth to it whatsoever. And after watching maybe half a dozen Yankee games and not seeing me at all, let alone hearing any mention of me, you'd quickly realize that I was lying to you. Now, I made a claim that I couldn't back up. Even if I was convincing in my claim without the evidence and the proof to support it, the claim is baseless. And this is what Christ is getting at here in John chapter 15. That it doesn't matter what you claim to be. It doesn't matter what the name on the sign out by the road says about this specific building. If you're not truly abiding in Christ and if you're not bearing fruit for him, your claim, whether individually or corporately, is baseless. Every true believer, every true church, he says, should be bearing fruit. Every God-fearing, God-honoring church should be bearing fruit. And if we're not, it's time to take a really hard look at ourselves and examine why there is no fruit. Are we truly saved? Are we a real church? Or are we just gathering as a social club a few times a week? Are we just making claims and going through some motions? The bottom line is that we cannot bear fruit unless we are actually in Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. And we must be knit together with him in order for us to ever bring forth fruit. And if you've never believed on Jesus as your Savior, I don't care how long you've been in church, you're not saved. Your name may even appear on a membership role of a church. But if you've never believed on Jesus as your Savior, you are not saved. You cannot abide in Christ until you believe on him as your Savior. And once you do, through him, you're able to bear fruit. So the question I want to ask I want all of us to maybe ask ourselves this evening is, are we bearing fruit? And if we're making the claim that we are, is there evidence to back up that claim? Now, I will admit that some people can get a little, little carried away with what that fruit should look like. And that is why I said earlier that fruit can be measured in different ways. It doesn't always look the same. One of the worst things that we can do as believers is to compare our fruit and our service 
for Christ with someone else's. God has called and equipped every single believer to a different work. Even if we're called to do a, a lot of sowing or a lot of plowing, as we previously mentioned, some are, some are called to plow, some are called to sow, some are called to water, some are called to reap in the harvest. And even if our, our, our specific calling involves us more on the plowing end or more on the sowing end or more on the watering end, it doesn't mean that we're not as successful or that our fruit is any less effective than the one who is on the back end doing the majority of the reaping. Either way, all of this work for Christ is bearing fruit for him. Whether you get to see this abundant harvest in your day or not, you have still been active in bearing fruit for the Lord if you've been faithful to serve him where he's led you to be. So whether you've been on the plowing end or the sowing end or the watering end and you haven't necessarily seen someone, you haven't seen yourself bring in a boatload of a harvest, that's not your concern. Christ hasn't called us to, uh, he hasn't, you know, made the stipulation that we need to bring a certain amount of souls with us to heaven. He's called us to be faithful with what he's called us to do. And that may look different person to person. And that's why you cannot look at the fruit of someone else or the service of someone else and think that you have done nothing because someone else has brought forth much more fruit than you. They may have reaped the harvest where someone else plowed and sowed and watered. The job of the one who harvests isn't more important than the job of the one who plows and sows and waters. Think of what the harvester is going to do if no one comes before him and plows and sows and waters. He's got to have nothing to harvest. So he's dependent upon someone coming before him and doing what God has called them to do in a specific area so that he can reap the harvest afterwards. But all of, these, in all of these places and all of these aspects of service are all equally important. And this is where I want to draw your attention to Song of Solomon chapter number 2. And though this passage doesn't necessarily have to do with sowing and reaping, I think we see a really good picture of what it looks like to bear fruit and maybe the different kinds of fruit that we can be bearing. And notice what we read in verse number 13. Song of Solomon verse, chapter 2 and verse number 13. It says, The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. And the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Right in the middle of that verse, it says, The vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Some of us have been faithfully serving the Lord, but it appears as if the quantity of fruit that we've brought forth is so little compared to others. We almost get nervous that should the Lord check up on our lives for the evidence of the fruit that we're supposed to be bringing forth for him, that there may not be much for him to see. Here in this verse, it says that the vine has brought forth fruit, but it refers to the fruit as being tender. Again, it says, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Is a tender grape any less of a grape? Is it any less of a grape? In John chapter 15 and verse number 1, Jesus said that God is the husbandman. He's the one that is doing the examining. He is the one that is checking the work that we're doing. If it's really, truly for him and done in his name, he's going to be able to tell. Do you think that he might look at the tender grapes that we have brought forth and suggest that it's worthless until it becomes one of those giant grapes that you can get from Sam's Club. Seriously, have any of you seen these grapes they're selling at Sam's Club now? 
No one's seen these things. These things are massive. They're unbelievable. You can make a meal out of a single grape. You, you have to cut it up to actually eat one at a time. They're insane. But whether it's a tender grape, I thought you guys would laugh a little bit more about that, but okay, maybe it's just late at night. But whether it's a tender grape or a freakishly large grape on steroids, it's still a grape. If there's any little fruit unto God from any believer, trust me, God as the husbandman is aware of all of it and he can see it. Even if it takes a little bit for him to see, he's going to see it if there's true fruit there. Even if the fruit is barely formed, even if it is just a flower that has just begun to bud, God can see that fruit and he delights in that fruit. Now, there are maybe a lot of tender grapes that God is delighting in. And I want to focus in on a couple things because as we consider what fruit looks like and what bearing fruit looks like, again, some of us could get off track as to thinking that it can only look like one thing. But I think the Bible tells us a little bit more as to what fruit in a life of the Christian can look like. And I think one of the things that God delights in is that of a humble faith in Christ. A humble faith in Christ. Many times we struggle in life and find ourselves crying out to God like the father who had a son with an unclean spirit. And he cries out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. That is the cry from a believer. In my opinion, a believer who's struggling to see all that God is doing, but has a very humble faith in Christ nonetheless. There's also the evidence of a genuine change of life. So there's a humble faith in Christ. There's also the evidence of a genuine change of life. Sometimes the change that we experience in our lives is drastic. Sometimes it's subtle. But either way, if it is genuine, it is still fruit. How many of you were saved at an older age in life? Just a handful of us. Looks like the majority of us were probably saved at a younger age. At a younger age, you probably don't see a, a drastic change in your life. But when you're saved later on in life, it can be pretty drastic. Especially with some of the things that you were accustomed to doing. Maybe behavior changes uh, are massive during this time after you've been saved. And, and the point that I'm trying to make here is that one of the fruits, one of the evidences of our salvation, of our service for God, is a genuine change of life. After you've been saved, there is identifiable markers in us that tell others around us that something has drastically changed about us. The person who experiences a genuine change in their life might fail a good number of times as they seek to change habits. It's almost like a child that is first learning to walk. They don't just pick it up like that. How many times do, do kids, as they're learning to walk, fall? All the time. All the time. Sometimes it's annoying how many times they fall because they, they, the slightest incline in the floor could just set them off and they fall flat on their face. And it's a struggle to watch them go through this, but how else do they learn but through failing from time to time? Uh, so we, we see there's a genuine change of life as evidence of fruit. There's a humble faith in Christ, a genuine change of life, and also there's a secret devotion. I think another fruit of spiritual life is a secret devotion. This is the person who maybe rarely prayed, 
rarely attended church, and quite honestly, didn't care much about it. And as a result of the change that has taken place within this person because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, now he does what he can to get alone for private prayer as often as he can. When the Lord, who is the husbandman, looks upon such tender grapes as this, does he not consider this as fruit? Does he not consider this as evidence of something that has changed within the individual that bears the mark of a child of God? When a person sorrows over sin and repents to get right with God, even that little faith, that humble trust in God, that sincere desire to live a changed life, that private time spent in prayer and studying the Bible, that eager desire to grow closer to God, and that childlike love for all that God has done for him, what does the Lord think of all of that? Does he not look at that and see a tender grape? The picture that we get here in Song of Solomon chapter 2, and particularly verses 10 to 13, is of someone being called to come and to behold what has appeared. And look at these verses. I know I read verse 13, but jump back to verse number 10, and I'll read down through verse 13 so you see the picture here. It says, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The idea is to come and to see the beauty. It says there towards the end of verse 13 that the tender grapes, it says, give a good smell. Give a good smell. What is that good smell? And I think there are several smells that come forth as evidence of fruit within the believer. I think the first thing we see is that of sincerity. Sincerity. When a person is first saved, they usually don't know a whole lot about the Bible, but they're extremely sincere in their faith in Christ. They come to a point where they recognize the severity of their sin, the fact that Christ alone is their hope of salvation, that they're doomed for all eternity in a literal place called hell. But there is a joy that comes over them because of what Christ has done for them. And they may not know a whole lot about what else the Bible may speak about, but they know enough to know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And by believing on them, they shall have eternal life. You can tell how sincere these people are when you spend maybe even five minutes talking with them. Because at the very least, they understand the eternal blessings of God's grace in their life as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ and, that means, and, and, and what it means to be saved, even if that's all they really know. They may not know who built the ark. They may not know the name of the giant that David slew. They may not even know who the apostle Paul is. They may not know how many books there are in the Bible, but they know that Jesus Christ is their Savior and that through believing on Him, they'll have everlasting life. They may be ignorant on so much of what the Bible speaks of, and it may show the more you talk about it with them, but they're sincere about the little faith they have in Jesus Christ who has given them salvation. And I'm telling you, that little faith, as little as it is, when it is sincere, Jesus sees it and he loves it. And it's like the tender grape that gives a good smell to him. 
Jesus loves sincere faith. Now, on the opposite side, there is no smell as repugnant as the smell of hypocrisy. A religious experience that is made to order. People who throw out all sorts of religious jargon without actually saying anything productive and anything sincere, that is repulsive to God. I pray that the Lord would remove such insincerity from any of us. And I pray that these vines with the tender grapes would continue to give forth the sweet smell of sincerity. So the first smell that I believe these tender grapes give off of that is sincerity. And second, there is that which is a heartfelt smell. There's a heartfelt smell that they give off. Now this may seem somewhat similar to that of sincerity, but there's a slight difference. How many of you have noticed when you talk to a new believer... They tend to focus on things that become almost irrelevant or insignificant to you if you've been saved for a little while. Some of the things that they're picking up on, some of the things that they're learning now that God has saved them are things that you've known for such a long time if you've been saved for any period of time. But they're finding these things out for the very first time. And they're truly excited about it. We're told in in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 11 through 14, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 14, the Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, what this passage is telling us is that there are many things that we are not able to understand until we are saved. Before we have the Holy Spirit taking up permanent residence within us, there are things that we, things of God that we cannot see and that we cannot understand. The new believer so is like a blind person that is now able to see for the very first time. They're seeing things that were always there, but they just couldn't see. He cannot believe all of the evidence around him and all the working of God in his life that he's missed up until this point. Everything seems so much brighter, so much more full of life, and this is the kind of spirit that Jesus loves. I remember it was back in high school. I I was fighting it because I, I didn't want to get glasses But my parents were telling me that I needed to get glasses. And I kept assuring them I didn't need to get glasses. And I was just going to squint my way through life from this point forward. And finally, they they took away my choice. And they brought me to the optometrist. And I ended up getting glasses. But I refused to wear them. So I'd bring them to school with me. I'd sit in the back row. And I'd squint to see the board. And I'd write down the wrong assignments. And I'd just struggle all the way through it. And then when I noticed that no one was looking, I might put my glasses on for a quick moment, take them off, because I didn't want anyone to know or to see me wearing glasses. Until finally someone caught me. And I had to reveal to everyone that I actually wear glasses. So I made it a point to wear glasses on a more regular basis. And I remember in high school, it was actually in this building. I was playing basketball at the time and I walked into the gym and I put my glasses on and it was like I was seeing things for the very first time. In fact, I said these words to my friends. I said, this is what you guys see? Nothing had changed. Everything about the gym was exactly the same, but I was seeing it for the first time with 20-20 vision. 
not having to squint and, and make out what things looked like and where things were. It was like clear as day for me. And I couldn't believe how clear it actually was. And this is what the blind person who is saved undergoes, this change. It's a heartfelt change. He's excited about this new development that he's been made aware of because of the change that Christ has given to him by the grace that he has offered. So there's a heartfelt change. And third, there's this sweet smell of zeal. There's a sweet smell of zeal. And this is exciting to see in new believers because this is what you were hoping to see. When God changes your heart, he gives you brand new desires. Depending on when you were saved in life, again, those that may have been saved at an older age, you may have seen drastic changes in your life based on the new desires God gave you. Some people are hardly recognizable once they've been saved, and that's a good thing. They are so hungry to learn more about God. They're eager to just clean up their lives and get rid of the filth that they've been allowing to be present for as long as they were living without Christ. They want to honor God now that he has saved them with their lives, with their work, with their service, with everything that is going on at home. And it's fun to see this zeal within these new believers because they're so eager to be doing something, anything for the Lord, and it doesn't matter what it is. They recognize that they've lived so long as enemies of Christ, doomed for an eternity in separation from him. And it's as if they're trying to catch up with what everyone else has been doing who was saved at a younger age. And the sad part is when you see older believers who want to slow these young believers down. Kind of like they're, they're reining them in and telling them, you know, pump the brakes, young fella. Hold your horses. Almost curbing their excitement and their passion and their zeal. Let them be. Let them go as fast as they can go. If they have a zeal to serve the Lord with even a little knowledge of, of the Lord to begin with, it's better than having knowledge without zeal. Give them some time and they'll gain the knowledge that they need as we disciple them. Just don't extinguish the zeal that they have for Christ. And fourth, there is the sweet smell of being teachable. There's a sweet smell of being teachable. Again, it says, The fig tree putteth forth her fi green figs, and the vines with a tender grape give a good smell. The sweet smell of being teachable. Within many young believers is this teachable quality. You see, they come to the end of themselves when they first trusted in Jesus Christ because before that, they thought they were good enough or that they could be good enough. But they had to come to the end of themselves before they realized that they needed Christ for everything. And now, no matter how prideful they might have been, they're forced to admit that they don't actually know that much. Many of these young believers are eager to be taught. And it is awesome to them that there is a God out there who loves them enough to die for their sins, and they just want to get to know this wonderful God so much more. There's the sweet smell of being teachable. And then fifth, there's the sweet smell of joy. The sweet smell of joy. This is something you can see without a person even opening their mouth and saying a single word. A person's demeanor and a person's countenance completely changes when the Lord saves them. There is a joy that consumes them for the precious gift of grace God has bestowed upon them that they couldn't hide it even if they wanted to hide it. And sadly, you see new believers exhibiting such joy in their life. And then you have some older believer who has been saved for 30, 40, maybe 50 years, always looking as grumpy as ever. 
They never crack a smile. They never give off any impression that they're glad at what God has done in their lives. And they're always looking miserable. If you didn't know that they were saved, you'd seriously doubt that they knew the Savior at all. Either way, you wish that they could capture the same joy and the same delight of the new believer who's so full of joy at the new life that Christ has given to him. Some people think that the Lord only focuses on the most advanced and mature believers, but that's not true at all. The Lord is fully aware of all of his children, regardless of how much or how little fruit they have brought forth. The Lord can see the tiny little bud just as easily as he can see the fully developed fruit that is ripe for the picking. All that are abiding in him are precious in his sight. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. The vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Those tender grapes are just as precious as those fully formed grapes. There are definitely times where Christ has to purge us as John 15 tells us, so that we might be better equipped to bring forth much more fruit. But he is watching over all of us and nurturing each of our souls through the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit. What a blessed privilege it is to be bearing fruit for our Lord, however it may look, even if we all may start off as tender grapes, giving off a good smell. Because those tender grapes give off a good smell to our Savior. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be able to come before you. We're thankful, Lord, to learn from your word. And I pray the things that we've talked about here this evening, Lord, have impressed upon our hearts the desire to live in such a way, Lord, that we are indeed bearing fruit. Help us not to be discouraged by how you are working and and. Lord, ministering through the people that you have placed in our lives, but to realize, Lord, that it may be a completely different area of ministry that you've called us to serve. And Lord, we should expect our fruit to look different than the people that are next to us. But nonetheless, Lord, help us to remain faithful. Help us to be diligent in what you've called us to do. Lord, I know that this can be a struggle. I know that we can come up with all sorts of excuses. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to convict us when we're not doing as we should and show us the pathway of what service to you should look like so we can indeed bring forth much fruit. As tender as it may be, may it give off a good smell for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.